Welcome to the Clean Up Experience podcast. I'm your host, Tana Arnold. In our first ever conversation, we are joined by Christina Adene, a UK-based activist and campaigner who is most known for her work on fighting food injustices. In our chat, we explored the fast food industry, from advertising to health concerns. We discussed the importance of amplifying community projects for individuals and businesses. And finally, we discussed her work on Bite Back 2030, a campaign that made headlines during 2020 when the UK government stopped free school meals during lockdown and is continuing to create change to this day. This was recorded from our Discord channel. If you would like to get involved in our community, the link to join our Discord is in the description. Happy listening! Uh, my name is Christina. I am a uh, campaigner um, on a couple of different issues, but uh, mainly known for my work in food um, and the food system. So I'm co-chair of Bite Back 2030, which is a youth-led campaign aiming to half-child obesity by 2030 and fight the injustices of the food industry. And so um, there's loads of things that I've uh, done and am yet to do within within that space um, but it's mas- ma- mainly around advertising marketing um, how these you know giant companies kind of brainwash young people into eating a certain way that's really shitty for our health but also for the planet um, but there's also other things so food insecurity and food poverty as we all know is a massive issue um, in the UK and so last year I started a petition to um combat that which took a life of its own and we'll talk about that later but um yeah there's a lot of work that you know we have to do um around food and I think it's a topic that's not really spoken about a lot um so yeah oh well I think we can get started on our on our chat um so thank you for that great intro and we're really really pleased to have you here today um if you don't mind we are recording this today just so that we can kind of have it there in the archives for anyone else to to listen in on their own time. Cool, brilliant. So you already had a um, already said to us a, a really great introduction, and I just want to congratulate you on on the um, award you've had as well. So being one of the top hundred influential women in the UK, but also Glamour's top twenty four. Gen Z powerhouses. It's absolutely incredible to see you out here doing all these amazing things and definitely getting the, the credit that you deserve for them. So yeah, massive congratulations from all of us here. Thank you. Appreciate it. So um, as you've already sort of touched on already is just around the work that you do in the environmental space. Um, but one question that that we have is kind of how did you get into the environmental space and was there really a key moment for you where you thought this is this is where I need to be and this is where I need to be putting in my my efforts um I think February 2019 um was when everything kicked off uh in the UK with the first um strike for climate March um Fridays for Future set up and that was honestly like Obviously, there was like mumblings about, um, you know, the climate emergency before then, and it was on the agenda for a long while. But that was when it was really brought to the forefront for me, Um, going out that day and like seeing all these students, like literally just 
all in unison, marching, fighting, crying for their future. It was um, really motivating and really kind of empowering because I think when you are a campaigner, when you do care about certain issues, you often feel alone or like you're just like really annoying for having like a, a, a voice that no one wants to listen to. And so um, I think February 2019 was definitely when I felt like I could do stuff beyond just like me um, speaking out on social media or, you know, just, just talking um, amongst my mates about the issues that I care about. And so definitely felt empowered within the climate space to um, do more. So I joined a couple um, organisations and did volunteering when I could. But then um, I think for me, the intersect between food and climate is where I really feel like I can do a lot of work and I and I have been able to um so junk food is like it takes it consumes massive amounts of water um we all know deforestation cattle farming how bad that is for for the environment um and and the damage that it uh creates but no one actually talks about it and when we do talk about uh natural resources it's always about you know oil and gas and whilst obviously that's incredibly important, I do feel like um, the food industry is not, they're not taking responsibility for the um, issues they're creating. And that's why I feel like organisations like Fight Back 2030 um, are in a unique place in which, you know, we can actually do stuff in an environment, in a, um, in a space, in activism that hasn't really been touched. Yeah, definitely. Did you, um, by any chance, attend the climate, the Fridays for Future strike? That was a couple of, I think it was last week, last Friday. No, it was my birthday, so I was. Um, oh I my was gosh! Really, yeah. <laughs> I was really annoyed that I couldn't, but um, yeah, put that one out. Well, a happy belated birthday as well. Um, but yeah, that that strike was all around kind of food inequalities and and kind of what you've touched on is just making sure that the the emissions that the food industry are polluting are actually recognised and, and there's action taken against that. Yeah, definitely. I think especially within the past year, um, all this stuff around food that's come out and especially even just with Brexit and us having to rethink the food system with trade with our farmers and um what that means for you know our agriculture industry there's definitely more attention um you know going towards the issue which I'm really excited about and um um yeah I want to engage more young people in the conversation definitely a hundred percent one thing you also touched on was around kind of the advertising industry and and the way that um, a lot of ads are catered towards kind of fast food and in the UK recent well I say recently I think it was in the last year or so they introduced a curfew on fast food ads on on TV so I think past 9pm in the UK there won't be any more fast food ads um, have you or have you looked into the possible impact that this has had do you think that advertisers should take more responsibility for the ads that they are putting out there and, and putting money behind? Yeah, um, that watershed, the 9pm watershed was something that um, we campaigned very strongly on actually. And even more recently that um, we had a major winning go government where 
they said that they would be banning junk food marketing online and um, on TV, um, but it's from 2023, which is not helpful at all for our current generation of young people. Um, but Bite Back actually did a report on how marketing affects um, young people, specifically junk food marketing, and it's insane. Um, we're bombarded with 16 billion ads per year, which putting into context means it's 500 ads per second, which is just insane. It's mind blowing to think about. Um, and if they did, um, well, before when we were um, doing a government expose to try and um, get MPs to think about the issue more, uh, we found out that if they did pass this uh, law, that British children would get 270,000 years of extra life just from banning advertising, which is insane. Wow. So I think it's very, it's crazy. Like, this is what I'm saying. (laughs) People don't really realise how much these things, like just opening your phone and having, like being exposed to um, 99p burger ads, walking like to college, to school, wherever, (laughs) And just seeing these street food um, ads, it does so much to our brains that we don't even realise. The subconscious marketing aspect of um, the food industry is just crazy. And the impact it has, like the fact that when we go out with our friends, the default, like without even thinking about it, is to go to Mackey's or to go to whatever it is, whatever like junk food outlet. It's, it's quite scary um, and because it's so normalized, especially if you are a working class background, especially if you are, um, yeah, in poverty, then then it's just the norm and you don't even question it. And so, uh, yeah, it's I'm very, very happy. But I just think that um, we need to be very careful in the way industry are going to hit back on this policy. And, you know, they've got mm. tons of money. Like I remember we had a. Um, Feed Britain Better Summit, where we invited Nestle, Tesco, amongst others, um, to come and talk to us and and talk about, you know, online advertising. And um, I asked Nestle, you pump £20 billion into advertising per year, per year, to to market Mm. to young people, right? And um, we asked them, would you stop? And essentially, the answer is no. Even with things like (laughs) cereal... They, they they refused to admit that they marketed to under six year olds. But why have you got a cartoon on a cereal box? What does that mean? And, and the reason why I bring up cereal is because um, there's a lot of foolishness that goes on on that. Because um, say for example, the uh, servings, the thirty gram servings, are based on what a six year old should eat. So when mm-hmm. they say um, this is you know the the serving portion, blah blah blah, you as a as a you know person with needs that that a fully grown young person like you're not going to be taking a 30 gram serving you're more likely to take an 150 gram serving so you're having five times the sugar intake and on on average it's about what like 15 15 times 5 75 grams of sugar in the morning already that's insane anyway um sorry went on a <laughs> But um, what I was basically saying is that they put cartoons on these cereal boxes to attract to kids under the age of six. I, I have smaller siblings. They, they they love cartoons and that's what they see on TV. And so for them to admit that, them to not admit, sorry, that advertising and marketing isn't a play that they use to get 
is from a very young age to get hooked on their products is a huge lie. And I think that if we're getting serious about um, food and climate, which are very, very intersectional issues, we need to start addressing them on this. Definitely. No, and I think what you said earlier and referencing the um, impact that advertising is having, even if you look at things such as Father, Father Christmas, Santa Claus, his colours are the same colours as Coca-Cola because of their advertising and the impact that that's had on society. It seems minimal, but you know every year it's Christmas when the Coca-Cola ad or the John Lewis ad comes onto your TV. Yeah, exactly. And we all know about brand loyalty and affection, right? So the fact that they're even playing on these... And it, it seems innocent, that's the thing. Like, Santa Claus and the whole Coca-Cola are, like, the geniuses of marketing. It's insane. But it seems very, very innocent, a person smiling while they're, you know, drinking with their friends and blah, blah, blah. But you know, a decade ago, not not a decade, 20, 30 years ago, they were doing this with smoking, they were doing this with gambling. Now it's junk food. And, you know, you might think that I'm a bit drastic in, in using those as a comparison, but, you know, obesity and ill health are one of, is one of the biggest killers in the UK and just the Western world today. It just is. It's a fact. One in three young people in the UK um, are at risk of obesity. And, and more time... It's going to be, you know, the, the poor. It's going to be the working class. Me, just because of where I grew up, I'm twice as likely to develop obesity um, and I'm likely to die around 10 years earlier just because of where I live than someone that lives in a more affluent area. And so these issues, I think, are very serious. And when we talk about them, I think it's very important to not think that this is a hidden, like, under-the-closet issue. They want you to think it is and that they want you to think that it's not really a threat. But... It very much is, and just because, you know, not all of us are obese, it doesn't mean that it doesn't affect all of us. Mm. Definitely, and I think, well, you, um, you've mentioned bef before that you kind of have grown up in the Lambeth area and I've grown up in Lewisham and going around high streets around here, you see loads of fast food shops. However, when you go into areas such as Chelsea in London, there's so many smoothie bars, sushi shops, like really healthy foods and it's distance wise not that far but the difference between kind of everyone's salary in those two areas or kind of even the percentage of people who own their houses versus who rent are so different and that is reflected in in the high street shops that you see exactly exactly I'm literally I'm doing my um coursework on this right now it's just insane comparing high streets and seeing what's available we, we call it food deserts um it it says so much about the deprivation of an area um so a food desert is essentially a, a high street or an area in which there's little to no access to healthy nutritious food at an affordable price but there's tons and tons of beige junk food um obviously that not only correlates but is a cause of um health and a lot of the reasons why we see those areas being more dependent on services like the NHS for example um and so I think when we talk about um 
talk about this it's not it's not even though I say and state this is a very important point we are all what like regardless of our um socioeconomic background we are all still affected by food the broken food system because even if you do go into those like high-end shops and you know like bougie niche hippie like restaurant snack bars there's still a lot of misinformation going on like naked bars and smoothie um what are those smoothies called um innocent smoothies like they're just as bad as coca-cola in fact i I think they are owned by coca-cola um if you look at uh the sugar in, in uh the sugar nutrition labeling it's it's equivalent to the you know the biggest fizzy drink brands and so there's a lot a lot a lot of um unclear labeling a lot of um kind of false advertising of these what you want to think is healthy products but actually aren't yeah it's a very very tricky space to navigate (laughs) yeah no and I think even looking at um with with these brands so such as Coca-Cola or Nestle as you mentioned before and their advertising efforts the fact that they're not gonna stop is worrying on both on on many different aspects so as you have mentioned the the health side of things the sugar intake but also the packaging side of things as well um and it just shows how the environmental cause and and how um like environmental pollution is intersectional with so many other aspects of social issues yeah definitely we're launching a sustainability campaign um at bite back and i've spent the summer doing a lot of um research and interviewing people from all over the climate space um on on food and and how we even begin to have that conversation of you know junk not junk food but just the food system in general being so detrimental to health and climate um and our environment and so it's it's tricky because we all know it's the food system how do you actually go about that when these massive companies don't aren't going away anytime soon right and and um they're not willing to accept or confront the damage that they're creating on both fronts um so for me I'm really at a place where it's like how do you drive purpose within within these companies and not compromise whilst also having to work with them because at the end of the day they've they're the ones that have to make change it has to be from an industry level it's not enough to say you know like go vegan or it's not enough to get people to I don't know turn turn the lights off when they when they leave it's it's very complex but I think um and I might get a lot of criticism saying this from um people that are a bit more extreme than me I guess or radical but I do think at the end of the day corporate activism there is a there is a need for it because then that these companies are massive and they are not going to go away in the next couple decades so I definitely think there needs to be work done to collaborate with them and get them to push for huge huge change on a level that will obviously save the world and um, our future generations health. Yeah, we 100% agree there. And 
I think as well, you've touched on such a crucial element that is dividing so many people in the climate space and the environmental spaces. Do our small individual actions, are they the things that we should be focusing on? Or do we need to put that pressure on those large companies to actually make the change within them? And I guess it is kind of a double-edged sword. Like on one hand, um, as a consumer, you're creating that demand from that company. So in a way, you buy, you buying that stuff or not buying that stuff will have an, a slight impact on that business. However, on the other side, as you've mentioned before, it's not always affordable for people to find and and buy healthy foods and buying these these unhealthy snacks or whatever from the the supermarkets might be their only way to kind of feed their children and, and keep going so it is it is a difficult conversation to have and definitely is a massive topic of debate for so many people in the climate space yeah it's it's very difficult um I so I'm plant-based and what started my journey was wanting to help save our, our, our planet and now like that is completely not the reason why I do it and I don't I did have this attitude where it was like okay we will need to do our bit but as you said not everyone can um and so I think for me um even just being from that working class background um even just the cultural, like I'm, I'm Ethiopian and knowing the kind of pan-African mindset of like, we have more important things to worry about than climate, you know, our people are in poverty and, and we need to build better lives for ourselves, blah, blah, blah. Like I know the um, impression that some people have on climate, on the climate discussion, just being like a middle class bubble of um woke activists thinking blah 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 and so it's really about for me how do we equip people with the knowledge um and ensure that people know their right to their voice um and their right to a safe and healthy future and and framing it that way instead of going into the going into the um arguments that might alienate people from the climate movement if that makes sense um so yeah difficult again difficult space to navigate yeah but I definitely think um communities and and groups such as this and and even smaller groups such as schools and 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 smaller groups within those can really help to to amplify messaging and and make sure that people are able to amplify their voices as you said everyone has a has a right to to eat well and eat good no matter their their background where they're from and I think communities are a great great way of making sure that 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 is coming across definitely and I think also um when you look at uh the issue and and the solutions on a community on a local level they they often communities very resourceful and and they often make the solutions for themselves right whenever i um so i did loads of work in brixton uh, at my local community center 
last summer and I was just helping out like cooking teaching young kids how to cook um and they had their own like vegetable patch they were all very kind of conscious and aware and sustainable without actually saying they were just by their kind of let's get on with their attitude they were way more sustainable than you know like larger scale um organizations and committees that were trying to to do what they did if that makes sense so I think on a local level even just looking at you know some drip feeding methods um that um substance farmers in Africa use for example like they just naturally just out of their like resourcefulness use very very sustainable very clean methods of whatever it is that they do just because on a community level they do what benefits everyone and obviously the land that they inhibit so I think it's very interesting actually uh, sorry I, again went on a tangent but it's what what you said is is a very good point and we often at a local level can do way better um because because it's just more I don't know it's just more it makes more sense I don't know what what the science is behind it but from what I've seen locals do it way better do you think it's those support networks and that kind of history of, of knowledge that helps the communities build these, in quotation marks, sustainable practices? Because um, I think one thing that you've just touched on now is greenwashing, is how big companies and even supermarkets now are saying how they're swapping out for more sustainable packaging or um, in the veg section they don't have the little plastic bags anymore they've changed it to paper bags and just slapping the sustainable label on there however you've just spoken about how sustainability isn't something that should be labeled it should just be your everyday actions and your everyday activities that you do that kind of bring you to a a point of sustainability if that makes sense yeah yeah i i think that um and that there are cases where these you know um big companies have tried to copy that that like community model and i'm not sure in a capitalist system to what extent it can work without you know it being labeled other things um but i honestly like i i spoke to bite back um actually went on a trip we were invited to tesco hq um and we had some very interesting conversations about sustainability and food um and some of the stuff they're doing i mean they they know about a lot of the criticism that they have and i raised it with them and um some of the solutions that they're now trying to create i think makes a lot more sense so one of the things they're doing is just letting the communities do the job and um supporting them in that way and giving them the resources they need to be sustainable on a more local level rather than imposing their top down look we're going to do this this and this and like we're going to be so like green and you know (laughs) um and I think that makes much more sense like they've invested I think it was 80 million they said into literally just ensuring that their community networks are really good and um I was talking to the leaders of those uh different departments and they were literally just asking for more money because um they they were doing so well and it was so successful and that was 
the best parts of Tesco when um, Tesco actually, I mean, the, the people that are employed by Tesco on a, on a small level, on a local level in the, in the shops are people from the local community. So you're naturally going to have that, those links. And I think supermarkets and um, just chains like that in general are in a very unique position in which they can support the community and it doesn't have to be a thing that you know, they're greenwashing and they're like being enemies of progress. I think that if they knew their place, they can be really effective. It's just that these kind of structures tend to impose and, and try to like do their way of things without with being quite tone deaf to what's going on around them, um, which I think is really interesting. But uh, I definitely think some progress is being made and um, being purpose driven is definitely something that corporates are finally talking about yeah so with that do you feel as though um in order for there to be better sustainable actions or community driven actions within companies do you feel as though there needs to be a kind of community department that is opened within where they focus on those fundraising efforts for for local community projects and um, they focus on really amplifying the voices of local communities around them. Do you see that as a new way of of people getting employed in this space who may be interested, but also a better way of actually making a change within these industries and companies? Yeah, I definitely think a lot can be done when communities feel listened to, 100%, even me being part of that community. Um, and being often the person, the bridge of communication, right, between these big corporates and um, communities on a local level, <clears throat> I feel comforted and listened to when they have designated, these corporates have de designated time and space um, to listen to us and to actually work on the things that we say. So, like, yeah, I definitely think that um, it would be so beneficial if, you know, these companies gave more time to um, what was going on around them in, in the communities that they're working in. Um, I, I, yeah, would naturally just love that. Yeah, and do you think something, so with Clean Off Experience, we're, we're here to kind of build a community of, of like-minded people who all um, want to get behind the, the different elements of the environmental um, area. Do you feel as though communities such as ours should focus on also supporting those smaller groups or local communities to each of us within here? Or do you feel as though we should try to um, have our voices, as you said, you're, you're that kind of connector between those small communities and the larger businesses. Do you think that is something that people within cleanup could try to do? I definitely think so. I think you could do, you could do both. Because um, for me, one of the biggest turnoffs that I've seen about um, the climate movement and the way just my friends and like just everyday people engage with um, climate activists and campaigners is just, they think they're literally just like a bubble of... Um, woke to this as they like to call it and, mm -hmm. and just make noise for no reason 
And so I think there's a lot of work to be done on a community level of, of changing that narrative and being more inclusive in what climate justice means to different people. Because I'm, you know, a black woman, I'm from Ethiopia, in uh, Tigray in Ethiopia, and um, even just what climate justice means to me, just based on my identity, is very, very different than someone that maybe grew up here with their lives and is British and doesn't have that same kind of perspective that I have on on the issue whereas um, I don't know if you know about a movement called Stop the Mangamizi but they're um, climate reparation movement um, that are pan-African and are basically um, campaigning on the eco side that the UK government has caused in loads of countries in the global south and calling for reparations to be done so that um, they essentially invest um, money back into those countries to ensure that the damage they've done um, in mining and all the, you know, atrocities of colonialism and the so this things that they're still doing today, um, essentially, the, you know, so the countries and the people of those countries get the land, of course, um, get replenished, gets replenished. And so I think that like there's a lot to be done within activism in this country to give voice to those people and places most affected um, and at the same time representing those voices um, in those conversations with corporates and I think the cleanup experience is a very very good space in which you could do that because there's something very important to me and from what I've seen that is successful about a positive movement and a positive kind of brand. And you guys have that. And I think that's something that is attractive to both community and to business. And so using that um, kind of framework that is less alarmist and more constructive to bring all those voices together in a space and a platform in which everyone feels welcome, I think is very important. And I think this is a kind of unique space to do that. Mm. Thank you. I'm glad that you also <laughs> share the, the same positive idea of our, our group as, as we do. Before we move on quickly, I just want to say that we, we do have the NFT giveaway. So the secret code word for that is clean up NFT. And if you want to DM me directly, we can then um, credit you that uh, NFT. So yeah, clean up NFT, all lowercase, one word, DM me directly and, and we'll give you that. Cool. <laughs> uh, a shameless <laughs> little plug there. Um, yeah, <laughs> yeah, before we... Um, before we move on to kind of your your work with Bite Back 2030, I just wanted to touch a bit more on kind of what you think we can do on a more individual level to make foods, healthy foods more accessible, <clears throat> sorry, healthy foods more accessible to those who are on lower incomes. So I know that there's apps around such as Too Good To Go or even subscription services, which um, uh, like odd box, which are a bit uh, are focusing on kind of the the odd veggies and and fruits that no one wants to buy because they might be a bit of an odd shape. Um, but I was just wondering if any companies or or 
apps or things such as that can help make healthy foods more accessible to people? That's uh, a very good question. <laughs> um, there's loads, so I'm trying to think which ones are my favourites. Okay, there's Smash, which is one you should really share with like any younger brothers, sisters. You, you can obviously use it, but um, it's really good for young people because it gives 20% off loads of um, healthy, healthy options on the high street that aren't usually appealing to young people because they think it's out of their budget. So definitely the Smash app. As you said, too good to go. And there's one called Olio as well. Um, my friend works on um, but I think in general, just um, knowledge is the biggest thing because food is a hidden topic still, even though there has been a lot of conversation around it recently. It's not as big as climate or race in terms of urgency and like just the, the power that the conversation holds. And I think we need to give words around this topic more power and if you're aware of the, the issue, talk about it, campaign on it, um, support um, charities like Food Foundation, um, Bite Back 2030, of course. Uh, there's so many. There's um, the Youth for... Uh, what's it called? The Youth for Change, Youth for Food, Youth for Change um, campaign going on at the moment, which is a global movement of food activists from all over the world from Lebanon from Nigeria from the UK and they're just working on um, food equity there's so much going on but um, we just you know the food activism movement just doesn't have the same kind of capacity it doesn't have the same platform as others and I think it's just empowering and speaking up for others and also yourself and, and the change that you want to see I think is really important and please don't underestimate it yeah thank you for that one one thing I want to just jump back on is when you said around knowledge on food and just thinking back to kind of when you're in primary school or secondary school do you feel as though there's something that needs to be introduced into the school curriculum to address food knowledge and and make people more knowledgeable about healthy foods or or even kind of healthy lifestyles? Jeanette Ori, absolutely, oh my God, amazing woman. She's a legend. She's been campaigning on this for like 20 years now. Wow. Even more. I mean, so is Jamie Oliver. Um, yeah. Jamie's great, but less, less popular with the public. <laughs> The turkey Twizzlers. <laughs> right, turkey Twizzlers. My friend still hates me for them. Um, anyway, I, I think that there's so much work being done around um, reintroducing food in the education system. But I think on top of that, nutrition and the importance of nutrition is just not spoken about at all. Um, so even in your food tech classes, you get taught what, like, how to like make pastries and. I don't know, pizza, cupcakes, that kind of stuff. You don't get the actual importance like of nutrition and having having a good diet without it just being, you know, a boring eat well plate. People just don't make food cool, they don't make food sexy, it just it, it's like a chore. And I think that that whole narrative needs to change um in order to appeal to young people. So I definitely think 
just on a not even like sitting in a classroom because sitting in a classroom learning about food doesn't make sense to me because that's not what food is about right food the whole process like we are so detached insanely detached to, to especially people that people that live in um cities that they're so detached to farming and and um how you actually grow your own food I doubt anyone in my secondary school classes would have known how to and so I think even learning on that on that level right and there's so much to be done in that space and there are so many incredible activists um doing stuff like chefs in schools oh my god go go check out chefs chefs in schools um school food matters that there, there are so many um organizations charities out there doing loads of work on that amazing i've jotted all of these down <laughs> i will be looking more into them once we get off this call um but one one thing that you you spoke about on the kind of with people living in cities they're so detached from kind of how farmers are growing their their produce their goods do you think something such as kind of a small vegetable patch in in your local say primary school the primary school you would have gone to when you were younger do you think having more things such as that could make a, a difference and an impact on those young children's lives to allow them to to realize the importance of growing your own food and especially food waste I think that's such a massive thing um I can't remember from the top of my head the stats but even at around Christmas there was the stats around how many tons of like food brussels sprouts potatoes turkeys are just thrown away and do you think introducing small things such as vegetable patches in primary schools or stuff like that could really help shift people's mindset and and teach them it takes time to grow a strawberry mm-hmm. or, a, or a lettuce don't waste it 100 percent, 100 percent. i think like even just going back to the community center that I volunteered at, that's what they were doing. They were they were teaching kids from such a young age, you know, this is how you grow garlic and this is how this plant grows and you know, you can't waste it or, you know, if there is excess, put it in the compost and we'll, you know, da 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 da. And it was so fulfilling to see young people, kids actually just get involved and it was great for them as well. Like it's not I hate the narrative that kids hate vegetables because who who said that? Like who do you know what I mean? Like if if when you cook with a child and um grow veg with a child and they are part of that process, they are going to eat what's on their plate. Every every parent knows this. Um and it's something that's so simple and so basic yet isn't isn't, you know introduced in schools and I think even just in secondary schools um when I was in uh when I I I did school council which was just the biggest waste of time when I was in secondary school and um me and my friend were like let's just get a vegetable patch so we could instead of you know getting catering companies to source food from miles away we could grow a bit ourselves and then um, we also did we also like wanted to introduce smaller initiatives like instead of sitting down during detention why couldn't you just like go and um, pick up litter or like you know tend to the vegetable patch 
But like, it's just so difficult to get people to just do simple, nice, basic things. It's so, it's so weird to me why initiatives like that that are just so easy to implement in a in a child's experience of education and of growing up you know what's so difficult about it it's not even it's a very low cost um scheme to to put in compared to some of the yes that this this government wastes their money on so i i honestly don't understand it and it is one of the biggest frustrations to not see food um and just an awareness of climate and environment being instilled just outside of the classroom um but yeah you, you said it yourself honestly like they, they should be doing that in primary schools moving on just to your work with bite back 2030 now i'm not sure if everyone who's listening in is, is aware of this this campaign that you started during lockdown and kind of what's what's happened since you started that that first petition so do you want to introduce just a little bit around that and kind of what happened at the start and, and where you're currently at now yeah yeah so um and I think it was the eighth week of lockdown I the government had announced that they were pulling back provisions um for free school meals over the May half term which was just it angered me so much it was just the stupidest thing um that they could have possibly done to pull out you know the one guarantee of a of a child eating um in the sick richest economy in the world that i mean ch- child poverty child hunger shouldn't even exist but it does and so to to say that yeah we're not going to provide that one meal um it yeah being a person that had to rely on free school meals um, at one point in my life, I knew the damage that would um, create. And so I essentially said, okay, I'm gonna do something about it. Um, Spoke to Bite Back, talked to them about a petition and they said, yeah, go ahead. So I launched it with the support of Bite Back, obviously. um, And it gained a lot of traction very quickly, getting like thousands of signatures um, loads of messages you know saying I was on free school meals too and this is actually like insane that they're doing this and we need to make change we need to take care of our children um as a nation like just such amazing supportive messages um that really showed me that this is an issue that first of all hasn't been spoken about and has been so stigmatized to the point where like no one spoke up about it right um but also people can actually unify over it and it's not such a divisive issue I mean before the politics it wasn't a divisive issue like everyone was like yes we we need to ensure that young people are fed what the hell this is the UK and so it was very comforting seeing the support that it got it's on like half a million signatures which is insane um and obviously afterwards it led to Marcus Rashford um picking up the issue and we all know the amazing work he did over the summer holidays for that um and so yeah I'm very grateful for like the the fact that it brought the issue of free school meals to the forefront but um free school meals is just the tip of the iceberg honestly um as I've spoken about previously the the marketing the junk food marketing that young people have to face um the fact that 
when you leave school you have a chicken shop facing you it's insane <laughs> um you, that we are literally bombarded and we don't realize it and so there's so many things that my back are doing um I had a meeting with the English cricket board last week with um Jacob who's a member of the youth board and we were talking about I don't know if you saw the hundred <laughs> oh my no. god they had like um so it's like a cricket tournament it's a it's a new one that they introduced to get young people and families more involved in cricket and um the t-shirts were literally I'm not joking you can search her right now they were crisp packets t-shirts oh my god no of a a cricket tournament the athletes were wearing crisp packets as their shirts and um I don't play FIFA but Jacob was telling me how Stevenage I think their shirts were Burger King um Mm. and they're apparently like the shittiest in the league um everyone like plays them and so you've got like a ton of young people consuming all this advertisement from like the the athletes that they're watching and the sports games they're involved with so anyway I it's in every aspect of our lives the people we look up to on tv um the walk to school the street advertising um the accessibility of it just it's everywhere um, and so that's why Bite Back was set up to combat that and to give young people a fighting chance and um, essentially for a fairer, healthier food system um, for, for, for us all, no matter where you live, um, whatever your background is, who your parents are, shouldn't matter. We should all have access and um, the opportunity for a healthy life. 100% agree there. And yeah, I think what we've spoken about so far in our our chat has just nicely been wrapped up in a in a parcel there on kind of all the different aspects that affect how we eat, how we choose to eat, what influences us to to eat what we do, and essentially the the impact that that's having on on the the planet and the people. Before we, sorry, before we wrap up our our chat today, because. I've just looked at the time and it's always four o'clock already. (laughs) Um, Do you feel as though kind of petitions such as the one that you first started, do you feel as though they, they really work? And is that something that is kind of the first stepping stone of many? Or do you feel as though that is kind of one massive step? I do think they work, obviously. Um, Mm -hmm. But think it's not just about petitions petitions is that they're great they are incredible um getting your voice out there and getting your the message that you have there um especially when it comes to just being from a dis i hate the word disadvantage but a disadvantaged background let's just use it for now um and so do work it's just is it enough and simple answer is no it's not because now that you've got all these people that have signed your petition you've got this platform what are you going to do with it are you just going to stop because hey you've got like a couple thousand or hundred thousand or million whatever no you can't stop you have to keep going you have to keep um got a platform now you have to keep them engaged and you have to like 
show whoever you're targeting with that petition that this isn't just a one-off thing it's something that everyone there collectively is passionate about and is ready to act on Um, because what you're essentially doing by signing something is saying I agree with this message and I support it Um, but changing that support into an action I think is a whole other thing and um, it's it's an obstacle I face definitely like I've been frustrated in the past where and just like with the whole like BLM thing people acting like they care but then when it comes to it like not actually implementing the change that's needed so I think with petitions that does yeah you can run the risk of just like making noise for a moment and then not doing anything after which I think is a risk that you have to avoid by just continuing like if you've got a petition okay what's the next step we had a six-week plan for what would happen after the petition because we knew that we need to sustain the pressure. You know, sustain the pressure, they're just going to think, oh, it's a 24-hour news cycle, you know, this this story will go. Um, but it, it didn't. With free school meals, it didn't. It kept going, right? It kept gaining momentum and people are still talking about it and what we have to do better. Um, so, yeah, I think it's all about sustained pressure. It's all about continued action. It's not just one moment it's a petition is a moment um but you have to make it last for a long time so yeah no I 100% agree there and I think your the the work that you started off was kind of the petition was a catalyst and everything else that that followed from that was all massive conversations around free school meals as you mentioned you had kind of Marcus Rashford get involved and spread the message even further and um with that do you feel as though having kind of celebrities or or kind of people who have big followings um do you feel as though they're good for causes such as these or do you feel as though they can have kind of a a detriment to it at some times I I think they can do both I think in Marcus Rashford's case he did both uh, he both helped and because obviously he helped I mean hello like but I think at the same time I was very frustrated with the way he went about certain things such as literally signing a deal with Coca-Cola right after the whole campaign like that's not it just sends the wrong message and um, I think in general the campaign did not focus on nutrition enough um it was all about feeding kids but like you know as long as there's something on their plate it doesn't matter kind of thing and I am completely um and bite back is completely against that we believe in nutrition and 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 health more than just feeding kids so there were obviously differences in the campaigns which is why we did have two very separate ways of doing things, but I think at the end of the day, celebrities bring attention to issues that um, need attention, right? And that's a good thing. It's a good thing to have that endorsement. Um, but at the same time, it's not good to idolize them and make them kind of voice for that movement, if that makes sense. There, there are academics, there are people with lived lived experience and I know Marcus is a unique issue because 
he he did have that lived experience but at the same time he is now a multi-millionaire footballer so he has other things like for example the coca-cola thing he probably did have to take that because that's just how you know uh, football politics works I don't know but that that's an example of him not really being the right person to lead he was the right person to uplift and to promote but I he could have done more to say, look at these young people that know what they're talking about um, and listen to them and what they need. Um, and I think celebrities in general just need to do that more. I think it's not about them. It's obviously incredible if they uplift and support and talk about the issue, but it's also important that they uplift and support the actual people that are um, affected by it. And so, so that it doesn't become informative or so that it doesn't become so that the message doesn't get blurry or messed up or diluted in the kind of star struckness of it all I don't know that makes sense but yeah no definitely kind of using celebrities as or influential figures as the microphone to amplify your voices and the voices of those who are at the kind of root start of the the campaign be it your campaign, other campaigns that celebrities get behind. And um, no, definitely, I I would agree with you there. I think even when you look at kind of all social goods that that a lot of celebrities do, a lot of times there there can be that that backlash. Like you said, Rashford signing a deal with Coca-Cola after amplifying your campaign, it just just didn't align. And I think there's so many studies and and cases like that with other celebrities. So yeah, definitely use them as your your microphone to amplify your voices and and kind of the root cause and the root solution to to the problems. Definitely. And one more thing, because I I know I have to shut up because it it is four o'clock. But um, I think that with uh, celebrities and, and activism, I don't think we should push for celebrities to speak up I think it's kind of almost wasting energy because it's more important that we push the corporates and the companies to make change but what's it going to do if you're like forcing celebrities to to speak up on something and then they make a performative post and then it's like oh you're just being performative well yeah hello you just made them (laughs) speak out on something that they didn't want to speak up about I think um that's yeah, I, I just wanted to make that point because I, I don't I don't really enjoy seeing four statements of celebrities on issues that they have no idea about. But yeah. Mm. No, and thank you for, for pointing that out. Definitely. <laughs> cool. So before we, we wrap up, just want to say a, a massive, a massive thank you. This has been a, a wonderful conversation. Definitely would would love to to chat more as well um but no you've been you've been amazing so thank you for taking the time this Sunday afternoon hope it's sunny where you are (laughs) no it's still great but uh thank you and it's been great um thank you for having me and such great questions no worries and thank you everyone who, who joined today again um to claim your free nft token for joining today's call direct message me clean up nft or one word and you'll get that cool 
So with that, we'll we'll wrap up. Enjoy the rest of your Sunday. Thanks again, Christina.